have a lot of ideas for God. Things that would make life here on earth a lot smoother. For example, it would be really great if we could sit down with God and work out a legal document, maybe, maybe it could be notarized by the angel Gabriel or something like that, but that, that lays out the terms for our lives. Wouldn't that be great? That we could agree on this beforehand? Each of us would have more control, and I think that a lot of us would negotiate. You know, we would, we would be, we'd be good about it. You know, we could we'd make some accommodations even in order to have what we want. We might, for example, give up good eyesight for a fast metabolism or an IQ point or two for healthy, cheerful kids. But we would know what to expect, and we could hold God to that document and vice versa. As logical as that sounds, amen, doesn't that sound great? Life does not work like that. In fact, at times it feels like life works the opposite of that. We have no control. There are no guarantees. We don't call the shots. We do not get to negotiate the terms of our futures. And that can be really hard. Recently, a colleague of mine was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic bile duct cancer. It will kill her. Right now, she feels good for the most part, but she has, has been feeling so strange about this because she feels good and yet she has this diagnosis and so she has to go about her daily life with the knowledge that this life that she thought would continue for decades is only going to be months. No one knows what to say to someone who has gotten a diagnosis like this. And the truth is, let me let you in on a little secret, there is nothing to say. All you can do is be there. All you can do is be there and tell stories and laugh and bring something to eat and just be with the person. But even though there's, no, there's nothing that we can really know how to say, people still try, right? So my friend has been getting some interesting comments from people. One of her parishioners told her that he knew of a man who had lost both of his legs and concluded with, so at least you have two legs. (laughs) A family member of hers warned her that since she was a short timer, she needed to be sure to be kind to people lest they skip her funeral. She has a wonderful sense of humor, and she and her husband have been saying to one another, at least we have two legs, but this road has been extremely difficult. She has been given a death sentence, and her request to her pastor friends was this, that we not treat her like she's dying, but that we would live in hope and prayer with her for healing and wholeness. As she lives in the reality of her diagnosis, one that she could not control, one that she certainly would have negotiated her way out of if she had the power, she has chosen to live in hope and trust and good humor. She has that in common with Paul. The book of 2 Timothy from our readings today was Paul's very last letter. He wrote it from prison where he sat on death row. He penned these words of hope and encouragement just weeks before he was executed. You would not know how hopeless Paul's situation was from reading this letter, would you? 
the words that Jordy just wrote, read to us. He was positive, encouraging, and hopeful, reminding Timothy of, of, the, of the ancestors and the faith that he had, his mother and his grandmother, and reminding him that he's got this as he walks into the future. Perhaps it's because he knew resurrection from real-life experience. Paul, remember, was once Saul, who was a killer and persecutor of Christians. He had lived in hatred and violence until on the road to Damascus, where he was headed to hurt and harass more believers, God blinded him so that he might see clearly. Paul started a new life that day, one that was marked with love and service rather than violence and hatred. Paul would have gladly, I'm sure, changed the terms and conditions of his life if he was able and gotten out of that prison cell. He could have written a whole lot more letters. Oh man, can you imagine how big our Bible would be? He longed to see his students and his friends, including Timothy. But that was not his journey. So he chose to live in hope and trust. In our gospel, Jesus reminds us of what he is called to do. Not to conquer. Not win in any way that humans gauge as winning. But to serve. To be the smallest thing that will take over. To be the gentle servant who doesn't ask for accolades, but does their work with faithfulness. And because he demonstrated that a life lived in the will of God is that of service and love, he invites us to do it as well. The folk who asked increase our faith that day were not asking to have a sense, because I think that sometimes people think that faith is like a buffer to the world, right? Like if I just had enough faith, then I wouldn't feel scared right now, right? Or I wouldn't feel so frustrated with my circumstances. But this faith, when it's translated, it is translated into an active thing. Something that, that supports and upholds the will and work of God. So when they say increase our faith, they're not saying, God, make it so that we don't hurt anymore. Make it so that we're not afraid anymore. Make it so that this human condition can't touch us. Instead, they're saying, God, help us support your work. Embolden us to be your hands and feet. Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would be able to tell that mulberry tree to uproot itself into the sea. That little snippet of scripture has become a standard by which many judge their faith, right? Many of us have found ourselves lacking when we think about this. But I have known many people of deep and abiding faith, some of them sitting in this sanctuary right now, and not one of them that I know could make a tree uproot itself and throw itself into the Salish Sea. And I don't think Jesus was suggesting that folk use their faith to do parlor tricks. I think Jesus was using that as a ridiculous example compared to what we are truly called to do. To support God through our action in hope and in trust and in good humor. 
For in his next example, he takes a slave who has come in from working in the field and makes a meal. And I don't think that Jesus was saying, y'all do what you're told and don't worry about it. I think that Jesus was saying, I came to this earth to show you what it looks like to serve. I'm about ready to die. I'm about ready to walk to Golgotha with a cross on my back. I'm about ready to gasp as people laugh at me and make fun of me. I'm about ready to be resurrected with the scars still showing. And I'm about ready to show you what it looks like to live in real power. The power of service and humility, the power of the resurrected love of God. Jesus came to earth to show us a window into God and to invite us into God's love and service. To see what it means to be human and to embrace all the beauty and depth and connection and joy and pain and loss and victory and defeat that it brings us. And to take it all in, the sum of it, with faithfulness, in hope, and in trust. It's a beautiful thing, though, to remember the solidarity of God. Because even Jesus, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and his friends were asleep, this this um, stained glass window over here depicts that scene. I, I wish that they showed better how his friends were passed out falling asleep, but they're there in the corner. When Jesus was there and he was praying, he had already been betrayed by Judas, and they were en route to come and grab him. He said, can I change the terms and conditions, please? <laughs> if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, would that be Okay. It did not. Jesus continued in his path of hope and trust. But I think that little slice of Jesus trying to change those terms and conditions is such a beautiful ray of grace to us to remind us that even in this, we are not alone. God is with us. God experienced what it looks like to want to have a buffer zone from all of the hurts and pains of this world. So here we are, stuck in the beginnings or middles or endings of our journey with no appropriate, appropriate negotiated agreement of what to expect, except this, the unconditional love and grace of God. No loopholes that we can escape our suffering, but trust and hope and good humor to move forward into it. We have no control. We cannot call the shots but we're saved by hopelessness, by the love of God. We are mortal and yet promised in the pattern of death and resurrection all over creation and then perfected in our Lord that life that is life is for us. It's our inheritance. It's who we are. Poet Mary Oliver speaks to the fleeting and uncontrollable life in most of her poems. And in this one called The Gardener, she writes, Have I lived enough? Have I loved enough? Have I considered right action enough? Have I come to any conclusions? Have I experienced happiness with sufficient gratitude? Have I endured loneliness with grace? I saw this, or perhaps I'm just thinking it. Actually, I probably think too much. 
Then I step out into the garden where the gardener, who is said to be a simple man, is tending his children, the roses. Life is a mess. Have we done enough? Can we look to the next thing that God has given us to do, to care for, to love, with trust and hope? It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to tell our children about it, right? We can accept that into our hearts, maybe. But how can we tell our kids, well, guys, there's no way to negotiate for a perfect life. You're just going to suffer. Well, I'll tell you what we tell our kids, and it's what we told baby Ozzy today as he was being baptized. He's six months old. He's adorable, but he has no idea what happened today. I'm still wet from his playing around in that water, which was so awesome. He enjoyed being adored and playing in that water, but that's, that's his whole understanding of it. He may not get it yet, but we do. Today, we promised him that the mystery will not disappoint And that even though he cannot name the terms of his life, he will always be loved. We promised him that no matter how hard it gets or how good it gets, we'll stand with him. And we proclaim together that he will not get out of this alive. But that God, who brings life that is life, will always bring resurrection. We promised him that there are times that God will take him on an adventure and sometimes he'll go willingly and other times he'll go kicking and screaming. Today we entrusted him to something bigger than our abilities and power that fall so short. And we reminded him and ourselves that love always wins and that death never has the final word. And I think those terms are pretty good. Amen. Let's stand and sing together hymn number 796.